Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast featuring Reverend Jane Hyatt. Reverend Jane's out today, and I've got some pretty big shoes to fill. (laughs) So I figured the best thing would just be to read from my pocket Bible. The safest here. Actually, I'm not going to do that. It's just blank. There's nothing nothing even in here. That's not a Bible either. I don't even own a Bible. So George Burns, you guys all know George Burns, a good friend of mine. Uh, He once said, the secret to a great sermon is to have a good beginning, a good ending, and have the two as close together as possible. (laughs) So I'm going to try to follow that and still get my point across if I can. Uh, I want to share with you three things today. I want to share a story about the time that I thought I was going to die. I want to share with you the results of a year-long science experiment that I did on myself, and also some secrets to success. So, there's three kinds of fear. Jim said there's two, but I was thinking there's actually three. And the first kind of fear is that gripping fear of impending doom. I feel like I'm Bible thumper. I I don't know. It makes me feel more confident to hold this in my (laughs) notebook in my hands. Excuse that. But but that fear of impending doom that we get and we can't avoid, all we can do is to deal with it. And Jim's story reminded me of the time that I almost, I thought I was going to die, was actually right across the street here at the airport. I was taking flying lessons a few years ago. And they've been going great, you know, every morning before work. I'd go out 6 o'clock in the morning, go flying with my instructor, do-do-do. And it came the day for me to do my first solo flight in this little four-seater plane. And on the day of this flight, it wasn't uh, early in the morning. It was in the afternoon. And it was a warm day, and it was windy, and it was turbulent. And when it warms up, the characteristics of flying a plane change considerably. So I got out there, you know, if I can do this. I got in the plane took off, and like, whoa, a little windy here, but taking off's not really the hard part, and I'm getting them up there, I'm soloing around, you know, I'm flying around, oh, this is, this is okay, I can deal with this, and now it's time to land, so I made a few laps around, and there's a lot of air traffic, and there's planes lined up behind me, so I'm coming in, and the traffic pattern, you come left, well, as you're coming into the runway, it was so windy that you actually have to turn the plane sideways, and come down the runway like this, sideways, and just before you touch down, you straighten it up, and hit before the wheels touch the ground. So I did that. I'm like, oh, I got this, I got this. Go down, straighten it up. And as I just about hit the ground, it starts to do this thing called porpoising, where the plane just starts to oscillate and go up and down, and eventually gets bigger and bigger, and then you, boom, you just hit the the deck. So I was like doing this. I'm like, oh, crap. So I pull the stick, hit the gas, and go back. I'm going to go around. So I'm on the radio with my instructor who's sitting in the tower watching me. And he's like, "Um, what are you doing, Kevin? (laughs) Like, ah, I couldn't land. I didn't know what I was doing. He said, go around, try it again get back into the traffic pattern, come down again, Whew, plane sideways, coming down, straighten it up, porpoise, porpoise, porpoise. I'm like, gas it on, push it, pull it up, go around again. He's like, Kevin, what are you doing? Land the plane. I'm like, oh, I can't. I get up there. So at this point, I'm getting into the traffic pattern again for one more pass. 
And I honestly, at this point, had resolved that I might die this time, this day. And I was mentally going through my checklist, saying goodbye, thinking about my family, and realizing that there's nobody who can save me. A lot of times you're in a bad situation, you just wait and somebody will come and save you. But I couldn't do that. I can't just sit in a plane, it runs out of gas and drops eventually, right? I had to land this plane one way or another. I came in for another round, and this plane actually has a parachute, but it's on the roof, and it's an ex you pull this handle, and it has an explosion, and this giant parachute comes off, blows off the top of the plane, and allows the plane to come down and, with a parachute. 50-50 uh, chance you'll survive with the parachute, which is better than like 0-50 chance if you don't have a parachute. So I've already unlatched the, the safety mechanism, is getting ready to pull that handle, coming down sideways, Ooh, turn it straight up, starts the porpoise again, and I just said, F it. And I put that plane down, and I just put that nose down, and I hit that deck and bounced a couple of times, and then I was on the ground. And I pulled it into the thing and like shakily got out, secured the plane, and I pretended I was checking the wheels, but I got down on my knees. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so happy to be on the ground again. I'd never been so happy to touch the ground. And I, and I realized after that experience that, just like Jim said, in the face of fear, you, you can't just sit there. You have to do something. I had to do something. I had to be brave. So that's the, that's the number one fear. And there's not really much we can do about that except be prepared for it. And meditation sure helps. <laughs> and prayer, of course. But I want to talk about two other kinds of fears, two kinds of fear that we can do something about. And the first fear is an unfounded fear. And I'll tell you another little story about this one. So when I was a little, a little guy, 10 years old or so, back in Hawaii growing up, my dad used to take me every weekend. We didn't do a whole lot together, but Sundays, afternoons, this was our day. We'd go to Chinatown in Hawaii and go to see bad kung fu movies together. <laughs> he would take me to see martial arts movies, and that was our weekend thing. Me and my dad, just me and him, my stupid little sister didn't get to come, and we'd sit there and He'd always buy the biggest bucket of the, the greasiest popcorn with this fake butter all over it. I remember sitting there and we'd take turns dipping our hands in this butter and watching the action movies and watching the kung fu and wiping it on the velvet seats to wipe your hands off on the seat. You know, it's so greasy in these theaters. You never want to see with the lights on because it's just, ooh. And that was my Sunday and I got hooked on action movies, fighting, adventure. And as I got a little older, my dad introduced me to zombie movies, and I started to get hooked on Dawn of the Dead. I became a zombie fan for my entire life. I loved zombies. And, you know, I've, I've always considered myself a, a pacifist for the most part. You know, I'm not a violent person. I've never been in a fight other than in martial arts and fake fights. And I've always thought that I can separate this addiction to violent movies and action movies and bad influence in the media, I can separate that because I'm who I am and that's something else. It doesn't affect me. So fast forward, you know, sometimes Claire would be like, hey, let's go to a movie. I'm like, action movie? She's like, no, we're going to see like love meets happiness. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
And I reluctantly, I would go, and I always, of course, would always enjoy it, but I would never admit that to, you know, to myself. And when she was out of town or if I was sick at home, I'd binge watch action movies in my movie room, just sit there, action, 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 action. So a year ago, this show comes on TV, Dawn of, uh, not Dawn of the Dead, uh, Walking Dead. Remember that one? The series. Well, I got hooked on that sucker. That was my favorite show. In fact, we would have parties when that thing was coming on. And the last season, the season finale, the last show of the last season, I was watching this show, and at the very end of the episode, there was one particularly brutal, violent scene. And when it was done, the show was over, I sat there and I cried. And it wasn't because I was sad, it was because I was disgusted. I was sickened and I was pissed at the producers of the show that they would create something so gratuitously, awfully cruel. And I decided right there that I was no longer going to watch my favorite show. And I decided I'm actually never going to watch another violent movie, action movie, ever again. I wouldn't even watch anything on TV that was remotely negative. I was only going to watch happy, like, Bambi stuff. <laughs> See, I'm not even going to watch Bambi. Now that you told me that, I'm not going to watch Bambi. I watch, like, nature shows and stuff like that. <laughs> so this, this began my year-long experiment up to today to see if I could undo 50 years of violent media influence on my psyche. And I, for the past year, have not watched any action movies, hardly any movies at all, except for the Lovey movies that Claire suggests, and now I'm suggesting. I did go see Star Wars. I have to admit, I went to see Star Wars because I needed to take my boys, and it was kind of a nostalgia thing like that. But even, <laughs> even that in the Star Wars, though, a movie that I would have previously felt like child's play to watch, I felt a little uncomfortable because of the violence. And it really is not a super violent graphic movie, but that even made me uncomfortable. And that was the only thing I've actually seen in the past year that's remotely related to violence or negativity in film, cinema, news. And I realized uh, I, I was wrong. I could not separate the two. I could not be a pacifist. I could not be living in love and peace in my life and still have all this negative influence. And then something really came on TV that was a good show, a science show about the brain that kind of Ooh, kind of closed the deal for me. So this show about the brain, and you guys have heard studies they've done about memory and how our memories can be very fallible. Like they, they'll, they'll interview a jury, you know, people are going to be on a jury, and they'll ask them to watch the scene and tell me what happened. And they'll, they'll repeat it back differently. Even minutes later, what they saw was completely different. And we know our memories are not trustworthy. So this researcher did this project where she actually took some, some test subjects, and she would go and ask their, their parents, their friends, their family, people that they grew up with to tell us stories about them growing up. And then they would go and bring these stories back to the subject, and they would intersperse those stories with one that they completely made up. 
that nobody told, the parents had no idea, this was not a story that anybody knew, and they would start talking to the subject about these stories. Do you remember when, and da-da-da-da, remember that time you were lost in the mall? This is the made-up story, and they'd, be, and they'd be like, yeah, I remember that, you know? And they would actually conjure up memories of this made-up scene as if it really happened. And the kind of fascinating thing was like days later, they'd come back, Asked them about it again, and their, their memories became more vivid, more detailed. They're coming up with like, oh yeah, and the woman was wearing this plaid jacket, and she had this funny smile on her face, and they would create this entire scene in their minds that was completely fabricated. And they had no reason to lie. They were not under oath or pressure or anything. They just, when you're planted this seed, you create memories in your mind to fill that gap. So how how gullible are our memories and our psyches that we can actually be implanted with memories that never happened and believe they're true. And what was kind of cool is this, this way this researcher got into this is she, as a young girl, had actually, her mom fell into the pool and drowned. She wasn't there. But years later, one of the relatives at a party had said to her, do you remember you were the one that discovered your mom in the pool? when she drowned, and she said, I didn't think that I did, but she started to actually believe it and actually conjure v images in her mind, what mom was wearing, what it felt like, what, the, what time of day, the temperature, she had created this whole scene in her head that she fully believed had happened, and then a couple years later, that same relative came back and said, you know what, I'm sorry, I just talked to your aunt Mabel, she was the one who actually found your mom, it wasn't you after all, you were right. Oops, yeah. <laughs> and so this woman realized, wow, I fully believed that I had seen this and I'd felt this and the emotions of seeing and feeling my mom lying there in the pool had sort of crept into me and invaded my psyche and it never happened. So I'm thinking about this going, shit. <laughs> if, if we can have those kind of memories just conjure up in our brain and create feelings and emotions and thoughts, how are all these violent stories and things that we watch not affecting our psyches? How can they not be? They are. So the result of my year-long experiment, which I'm still in progress and, and, and continuing, is that, yes, it makes a big difference. And yes, we have a choice. I have a choice over what stories I want to plant in my psyche. The second kind of fear, and this is the, the exciting fear, is the fear of following your true path. This is that fear when you come up with a great idea, but you're, you're nervous, you're afraid to do it. It's the fear of starting a new business venture because it's something just so different and cool and you just really want to do it, but you just have no idea how. But you get these butterflies about it. It's the fear of meeting someone exciting and new for the first time. You see someone across the room and you want to go and say hi to them. You don't know why, but you're just scared to do it. It's that fear of maybe starting a nonprofit or something crazy that you thought you could never do and have no idea how you would do. But these kind of fears give you these butterflies in your stomach. They give you excitement. These are the things actually that are God, the universe's message to you of what you need to be doing. These are the fears you need to be chasing. I think back in my life over all of the most significant things
things, there were turning points in my life, in my career, they all started with fear or resistance or hesitation or doubt of some sort. Fear can be very subtle. It doesn't always come up like, bah! You know? It could be, <laughs> it could be like, mm, no, you're not going to do this. Mm, yes, you are. Yes, you are. No, you're not going to do this. You know, it could be resistance. It could be like, ah, I want to sit down and write, but I, I got other things that I probably can do, so I'll do other things. It's that resistance as well. So, I'm thinking about the most significant points in my life. Uh, well, the, the most significant was the fear of, of walking up to this cute young girl in the front of the classroom on the other side, sitting at her desk and going and talking to her 34 years ago, which turned out to be my wife. And of course, it was the best thing I ever did was to overcome that fear of crossing that floor and talking to sitting next to this girl that I thought was way out of my league and still is. <laughs> yes, like Charlie Brown. Uh, I think about the, the next biggest hurdle. We bought a house in Bend uh, 20 years ago and we were living in L.A. And to move to Bend... Everything was in our way. Every sort of roadblock came up. Our realtor would call us back in L.A. and said, I don't know how many times a week she'd call and said, I don't think this is going to work. You guys don't have any jobs. <laughs> you don't have any security. I don't even, you know, you're self-employed. How are you going to do this? And we'd be like, oh, no, it's never going to work. We're like, yes, we have to do it. We have to do it. And, it. and we made it work. And it was obviously the best decision we ever made moving here. I remember as a, as a starting photographer, uh, I've been a photographer for 25 years, I've been very successful with it, and I remember way back when I had this fear of putting my images out, because back then, this is before, well, we saw the internet, but it was just kind of fresh, you had to actually send images into a magazine and then call them up and say, hey, did you get my images, what'd you think, you know, and then there's rejection, and I was scared shootless of rejection. And then finally, this magazine has this online. You can actually put images and send them online and just hit send. So, okay, I can do that. I'm going to do that. I'm so scared, but I'm going to send them in, hit the little send button, and then I can just forget about it. Also, I sent it into the magazine, hit the send button, put it on my mind, and a few days later, I get this email back. Hey, we got your submission. We loved your, your images. We'd like to do a cover story on you in the next photography magazine. I was like, ah, okay, cool. And that led to Nikon seeing that story and then Nikon calling me and said, hey, we loved your stuff. We love what you're doing. Um, we'd like to sponsor you to be on the Nikon team. And I'm like, ah, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. And then they called and they said, oh, by the way, can you be our speaker, our sponsored speaker at the world's largest photography convention in Las Vegas? <laughs> I was like, ah, I've never done that. I'm so scared. But I, how could I say no? I had to do it. And I did it. And it scared the bejesus out of me, but it went well, and it launched a whole other part of my career, which was teaching photography and doing workshops. And it's taken me to places all over the world that I just would never have imagined I would have gone. I feel like I'm in my element when I'm doing these things, and they're all started by fear and facing a fear. If I'd run away from it, it never would have happened. Never would have happened. I think about the, you guys can probably relate to the, the fear of having your first child <laughs> and how scary that is to, to think, I have no idea what to do with this little thing. You know, I have no idea how to raise a child, but you do it and it's the best thing you've ever done. It really is. <sighs> so these fears are truly 
if you want to say God, the universe's message to you, saying this is what you need to do. Even today, I've got fears. We do workshops for photographers all over the world now from we started with doing one in Italy, which was scary to start, and we do them all over the world, and every time, we've been doing them for 15, 12, 15 years now, and every time we launch one, I'm scared. I'm scared nobody's going to sign up. I'm scared it's not going to go well. I'm scared that it's just not going to be a great experience, but it always works because we always push through and we always pray about it and we always just imagine getting through it, and it works. My latest fear is uh, someone who I uh, respect a lot has suggested that I maybe study being a unity minister, yeah. which, <laughs> which uh, I, I was like, that scares me. I don't know anything about ministry. I don't even, I've never even read the Bible. I probably should start. I got my empty Bible right here. But that's, that scares me, and yet I feel like I need to try because it scares me. You'll be awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. It, it, but, yes, thank you. No buts. Uh, there's this great book that I've read um, by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. Not The Art of War. You guys might have heard that one. The War of Art. If you're, if you're an artist, a creative person, a writer, um, a human... This book can really benefit you. It's an amazing short read. It's very powerful. And I've got actually a quote that I, I love from this book here. We're facing dragons too, fire-breathing griffins of the soul, whom we must outfight and outwit to reach the treasure of our self and potential. <coughs> and to release the maiden who is God's plan and destiny for ourselves and the answer to why we were put on this planet. And to me, that just really resonates because it reinforces the idea that we have to face the things that fear us, that we fear. These are the things, these good fears are the things that are calling us. This is what we're meant to do. And fear is not easy. That's the thing. It's not easy to face your fears. I have another good quote for you, too. I'm going to tell. I'm going to save that one. So, if you think about it, you can't, you can't sit still in the face of fear. You know, when, when Jim talked about sitting in that hole, you can't sit there in that cave and hope for the best. You have to move. You have to have action. You can't just sit still in the face of fear. Because when you sit still, what happens is you start to feel like something's wrong. There's anxiety that can manifest itself as stress, even depression. And I know because I've been through that, the depression of feeling and knowing that I'm not living to my potential. So when you do, when you chase those butterflies in your stomach, Amazing things start to happen. That's the good thing, is when you open those doors, when you follow those fears, people start to appear to help you. It's not easy. It's hard work. You're probably going to work harder than you ever did in your life when you're chasing your fears, but it's going to be one of those feelings like, I'm in the zone. I'm doing exactly what I need to do. Time's just flying by. Everything is easy as far as feeling right, but you're working hard. 
And those people appear and those doors open, but you have to step through the door. And that path ahead of you is not an easy one, but it's always there and it's easy to find the path because you just follow the butterflies. And when you do that, you realize that you are truly on the path that you were meant to be on. And this is what you're supposed to be doing. So I encourage you to grab this fear, embrace this fear, and choose a new fear because you can change your life. And I'm going to close with a quote by my other good friend, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and she says, fear is stupid. <laughs> Thank you.